0: Welcome to the Hope City Church podcast. We're so excited for you to listen along and hear this week's message. We pray it inspires and motivates and draws you closer to Jesus. Let's take a listen. So, Judges chapter 6, we're going to start in. In the book of Judges, here's what's happening the Israelites have left Egypt. They've gone into the promised land and they keep. They have no king ruling them. And what they have is they have judges that are actually ruling over them. And when the judges are there, the Israelites seem to do really good. But then when the judges are gone, when they die, uh, the Israelites get into trouble and they start sinning and they start worshiping other gods. And they start doing things that God has specifically said to them, don't do this. And as soon as the judge is gone, as soon as the parents have left the room, the kids start doing exactly what they're not supposed to do. I know none of us have ever done that, right? We always obeyed our parents even when they weren't there, right? Johnny's like, I am not answering this question. <laughs> we always do it. We always do it. But, but the Israelites, they didn't do it. So here in Judges chapter 6, the Israelites... Have just finished 40 years of peaceful times because they were serving God. But in Judges chapter 6, starting off, it starts off like this, and it says, The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. Dun, dun, dun. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. And the Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. "...wherever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying crops as far away as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, the goats, the cattle, and the donkeys. These enemy hordes, coming with their livestock and tents, were as thick as locusts. They arrived on droves of camels, too numerous to count." And they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. Can we look at verse 6 again? Back at the top there. It says, So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. What is happening? Israel was having some peaceful times. Things were going good. But then the Bible says they started to sin and God brought the Midianites and they came and attacked them. And it wasn't just like an attack. It was seven years of persecution. It says the Midianites brought them to starvation. Let's take a look at how how intense this was. It says they were so cruel, so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, the caves, and strongholds. So it means that when the Midianites would show up on the scene, the Israelites would take off and find places to hide. And I don't know if this is somebody here, but let me tell you something. Every time I have read this passage of scripture this week, I get a picture in my head of some little girl in her early to late before she's like 10 years old, or around that time, and she is hiding in a closet. And she is sitting under a shelf in the closet, closing the door out of fear because somebody is coming. Somebody is coming, and that's what is taking place here. The Israelites were having to hide It wasn't just like, oh man, here come the Midianites again. These Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites were driven to caves and mountains and crags and crevices, trying to preserve their life, trying to preserve who they were and hiding in those places because of the cruelty that was inflicted upon them. Finally, in verse seven, it says, when they cried out to the Lord because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites and he said this, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought you up out of the slavery in Egypt. I rescued you from the Egyptians and from all who oppressed you. I drove out your enemies and gave you their land. I told you, I am the Lord, your God. You must not worship the gods of the Amorites and whose land you now live, but you have not listened to me. God's saying, this is why you're in trouble because you did exactly what I told you not to do. I brought you out of oppression. I brought you to a good land flow with milk and honey the Bible tells us right I brought you this place and all I said to you was don't worship their gods and you did it anyways and here we are verse 11 introduces us to Gideon and if you're taking notes today here's what I'm calling today's message it's a long one so get ready for it the restoration of Gideon or Israel Or Gideon, God's Tumbling Loaf of Bread. You can pick which title you want to write down. But those are my two titles for today. The Restoration of Gideon and Israel. Or Gideon, God's Loaf of Tumbling Bread. (laughs) Choose your own adventure. You can use whatever title you want. Verse 11 says, The angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Oprah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abiezer, Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a winepress to hide the grain from the Midianites. Gideon was threshing wheat at the bottom of a winepress to hide from the Midianites. The Midianites were so cruel that Gideon is hiding in a wine press, getting grains from the wheat so he can make bread. And he's hiding in the bottom of this wine press, hoping that nobody will see him so that they won't come and steal and take away from him what he has. Because of the circumstances of Gideon's life, And the persecution that was inflicted on him and his family and the Israelites. Gideon felt like he had to hide. Gideon felt like he had to go somewhere and use something for its unintended purpose to protect himself. A hiding place. He's down there threshing wheat saying, oh God, 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 please don't let anybody see me. He's terrified. He's afraid. He's scared and he's hiding. And all of a sudden... We see in verse 12, the angel of the Lord appears to him and says, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Look at your neighbor and say, mighty hero. God is with you. Now say it like you mean it. Say, mighty hero. God is with you. We're gonna read a few more verses and I'm gonna make some comments on this. Verse 13 says, Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us. And you need to like highlight, underline, circle that word if, because that shows you Gideon's frame of mind. He says, sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? If God is with us, then why have I gone through everything I've gone through? Why have I had to deal with cruelty? Why have I had to deal with persecution? Why have I had to deal with addiction? Why have I had to deal with shame and hurts and pains of my past? If God is with us, why am I dealing with this? Why are we going through this stuff? He says, and where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said this. Are you ready for this? And he says, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. So Gideon is just fussing, saying, hey, if God's really with us, then what's going on? What about the miracles? You know, this is way after they came out of the promised land. I don't think Gideon was around then. And it says, Gideon says, our ancestors told us about all the amazing signs and wonders that God did for us. And if God is really with us, then why is all this bad stuff happening? Why are we walking through these things? Why do I got to deal with this stuff? And he's complaining. He's saying, I don't know if I really believe you. I don't know if I really trust you. That's what Gideon is saying to God. And some of us here have said to God before, I don't know if I can really trust you. I don't really know if I can believe what you're saying right now. Because if you're true and if you're real and you're alive, then why is all this junk happening in my life? And you know what I love is the next verse. God doesn't go, gasp, Gideon. How dare you speak to me in this manner? How dare you question me? I am so offended right now, Gideon. Do you know who I am? Do you know who I am? How dare you talk to me in this tone of voice, sir? No, he doesn't. He doesn't even answer gideon's complaints does he what does he say to gideon uh hey go with the strength you have and rescue israel from the midianites i am sending you but then verse 15 gideon says but lord how can i rescue israel my clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of manasseh and i am the least of my entire family The Lord says to him, I will be with you and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. What is taking place here? Gideon is having a conversation with God. And Gideon's conversation with God is framed by his circumstances, by his hurts, by his pasts, by his addictions, by his shames, by all the things that he's had to go to, go through. That is what Gideon is talking to God about. How can this be true when all this stuff is happening? How can this be true when I am the least in my family and my family is the least in all of Israel? How can I be as strong as you say I am? And God's not having any of it. Why? Why is God not having any of it? Here's why. Because God does not see you the way you see yourself. We see ourselves defined by our circumstances. We see ourselves defined by our hurts and our pains and our shames and our addictions and our problems and our fears and our family. That's how we define ourselves. But God does not define you that way. God doesn't look at you and say, oh, that's Jake. He deals with this. This is who he is. I saw him do that. I know those thoughts that he had. I saw him roll his eyes at his wife. I saw him do this or that or the other. God does not define you the same way you define yourself. You know how God defines you? By who he created you to be. And it doesn't matter what you've gone through. It doesn't matter what you're dealing with. It doesn't matter what you think about yourself. Because God always knows, this is who I made you to be. And I will always speak to the true you and not the worldly you. I will always speak to who I made you and not what the world says about you and what you believed. Oh, come on, that's... That's some good news. Because <laughs> I tell you what, the world will try and tell you all kinds of things about yourself. And if you're not careful, we end up listening to it. And the longer you listen to it, the more you begin to believe it. Maybe I am stupid. Maybe I am ugly. Maybe I am worthless. Maybe I am useless. Maybe I really am good for nothing. Maybe I will struggle with this my entire life. Maybe there is no freedom for me, and this is who I am going to be the rest of my life. But come on, that is not what God says about you. And when He looks at you, that is not how he sees you or defines you. And here we can have a man like Gideon saying, God, if this is true, what about this stuff? He is questioning God. He's like, well, if, if, this, if God is for us, why is this stuff happening? And okay, fine, go, go on the strength that I have. How can you say that I am strong when I am the least in my family and my family is the least in Israel? I am the lowest of the low is what Gideon said to God. And God just keeps saying to him, this is who I've called you to be. This is where I'm calling you to go. And it doesn't matter what you think about yourself because I know the real you. I know the true you. And so I'm going to keep speaking of that. Somebody should get excited about that. So he goes on. Verse 17. We're going to skip some verses here. Verse 17. Gideon asked God. He says, hey, if if... If you're really gonna do what you say you're gonna do, don't leave until I come back. I'm gonna come bring you an offering. He goes and cooks up a lamb, bring some broth, and he brings it back to the angel of the Lord, and he says, here, I have this for you. The angel says, hey, you know what? Uh, Take that that lamb that you cooked up, put it on that rock right there. I'm going to show you something. Put it on that rock right there, and then what I want you to do is I want you to dump that broth that you have, and dump that broth on top of that lamb and on top of that rock, and so he does it, and the Bible says that the angel of the Lord touches the rock, and the rock catches fire out of nothing, and it burns up the the lamb and the broth, and it all burns, and, and then Gideon's like, oh my gosh, I'm talking to God. This is craziness. Then he goes down. We find in verse 25. It says, that night the Lord said to Gideon, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one that's seven years old, pull down your father's altar to Baal, and cut down the Asherah pole standing beside it. The Asherah pole was what the Midianites used. It was a God they worshipped. And they had these poles set up and they would worship them. And so you see here that in Gideon's family, they had another god set up that they were worshiping. And this is why the nation of Israel was in trouble, not just because of Gideon's family, but because the nation at large was worshiping other gods. So God comes back to Gideon and says, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and I want you to pull down this idol. I want you to pull down this thing that you're worshiping. It's not what I called you to do. It's not what I want you to do. And it is sin to me. Do we know what sin is? Sin literally means that you're missing the mark. And what does sin do in our lives? It brings separation from us and God. Sin causes us to be separated. Not because God can't stand to be around it, but it causes us to separate from him. He says, I can't be in that place, so we move away. And so it says here that that God says, I want you to go tear this thing down. Get rid of it. Get out of your life. Get it out of your life. Get Get it gone, man. Get it gone. That's right. Get it gone. Something we would say in my family down south. Get it gone. The Bible says that Gideon goes out at night because he's afraid. Because the whole nation is worshiping other gods. So he waits till it's dark. He waits till everybody's in bed. He goes out and he tears down this other idol. And he does what God says to do. And he stacks up some stones and he makes a new altar to God. And he sacrifices this bull on it doing what God tells them to do. Listen, to get from where you believe you are to becoming the person that God says you are, there is some things that God will require of you to remove from your life. There are things that we have allowed in our life that will bring separation And when God came to Gideon and said, hey, you're going to save my people. Go on the strength and the power. You're going to deliver Israel from the Midianites. This is who I'm calling you to do. And God will come and speak great things to you and say, this is who I've called you to be. This is where I desire you to go. This is why I made you. Okay, great. That's awesome. The next thing he does is he comes to you and says, okay, there are some things that you need to remove from your life. The Bible says that Gideon went at nighttime. And he tore these things down because he was afraid of the other people. And there's gonna be some things that God will ask you to get rid of out of your life that may be scary for you to remove. But the key thing is, is that even in the midst of the scariness, Gideon still did it. Sure, he waited till at nighttime, sure, he waited till everybody was snoring away in bed. They wouldn't hear anything, and he went out there, and he knocked this thing down, and he set up an uh, altar to God. But there are things in our lives that God wants to remove. Look what happens here. In verse 28 of chapter 6, it says, Early in the morning, as the people of the town began to stir, somebody discovered that the altar of Baal had been broken down, and that the Asherah pole beside it had been cut down. In their place, a new altar had been built, and on it were the remains of the bull that had been sacrificed. The people said to each other, who did this? Who did this? Who took down our altars? Sometimes the things in your life that God is asking you to remove so that you can fully walk in who he's called you to be, sometimes those things will not go as easy as you hoped they would sometimes they will stand up and say, who do you think you are? You're not letting me get out of your life. I like it here, and you like it too. There are things that God wants to remove from your life to be who he's called you to be. They said, who did this? And after asking around and making a careful search, they learned that it was Gideon, the son of Joash. And they said to him, bring out your son. In verse 30, the men of the town demanded of Joash, he must die for destroying the altar of Baal and for cutting down the Asherah pole. He's got to die. He got rid of our altar. He got rid of our other God. He's got to die. So his dad says, why are you defending Baal? He's like, this is crazy. Let Baal defend himself. Right? And then in verse... 34 says this phrase, Then the Spirit of the Lord took possession of Gideon, and he blew a ram's horn as a call to arms, and the men of the clan of Abizer came to him. When you listen to the voice of God, and when you obey what God is telling you to do, When you walk through those hard things, when you walk through those trials, when you walk through those temptations and come through on the other side, when you remove those things in your life that you have allowed to be there, those altars, those other gods that you have set up, and God says, get rid of that thing in your life. Get rid of that relationship in your life. Get rid of this scenario in your life. Get rid of those people that are speaking this into your life. Stop sleeping with that person. Stop drinking this. Stop smoking this. Stop doing this. It's causing these things in your life, and I want them out. When you begin to obey and do what God has called you to do, something happens. Are you hearing me? Remove the altars in your life. Remove the other idols in your life and watch what God will do. It said in verse 34 that after he did that, the spirit of God came upon him. And what did it do? Moved him to action. It said he blew a ram's horn as a call to arms. So we have this guy who was afraid and scared and hiding in a wine press trying to make bread is now... After God spending time with him, speaking truth to him, restoring him, is now at a place where he is at a call of arms, where he's blowing a ram's horn saying, hey guys, it's time to go to battle. Let's stand up and fight against the sin and these people that are attacking us. Right? Now look at, starting in verse 33, all the way down to the end of verse uh, 40 in chapter 6, we see that. Gideon is testing God. He says, all right, if this is really you and you really want me to do this, here's what I want to do. I want, I want another sign from you. One sign wasn't enough. I want another sign from you. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put this, this, this fur, this wool on the ground. And he said, what I want to see happen is I want to see tomorrow, I want all the ground to be dry, but where my wool is at, where my sheep's wool is at, I want this to be wet with dew. And then if that happens, then I'll know this is you and that this is what you want me to do. So he gets up in the morning and guess what happens? The ground's all dry and the lamb's wool is all wet. The Bible says he rings it out and he rings out a full bucket full of water. But that wasn't enough for Gideon. He says, okay, one more time, one more test for you. Here's what I wanna to do. Tomorrow, I want all the ground to be wet and I want my, my skin stuff, my fur to be, to be dry. Gets up in the morning, guess what? Big shocker, happened again. Same thing. And so he says, okay, okay, this is God. And you know what I love about this? In nowhere in that passage of scripture, do you see God saying, Gideon, come on, man. Come on, man. How many times do I gotta show myself to you? He is walking Gideon through a process and he is restoring Gideon's faith and belief in who he is. And God is okay with you asking him questions. God is okay with you saying, God, can you show yourself to me in this area? Because he is taking a man who was broken and ashamed and afraid, hiding in a wine press, taking him all the way over here to where he is leading a nation into freedom. And sometimes you got to know, not sometimes, you got to know who God is so that you can get out there and fight for him. you got to know that God is on your side. So go ahead. Ask God some questions. Said, God, I need you to show me yourself in my life. God, I need to see this in my life. God, I need to see you move. I need to see your goodness. I need to see your faithfulness. It's okay, and he's okay showing and revealing himself to you. Chapter 7 goes on. Bible says, we're going to get through this quick. Bible says that he does this call to arms. All these guys show up, ton of people, 32,000 guys show up to go to battle. And God says to Gideon, he's like, man, Gideon, I bet Gideon was so pumped. Like, blowing the ram's horn, 32,000 people show up. Man, I'd be like, yeah, woo, we're going to do this. 32,000 people. That's like three of Chilliwack, basically. It's not. Chilliwack's like 80,000 people. But it's like exciting, man. Could you imagine? Like, hey, God told me to do this, so we're going to stand up and do it and put out a call to arms. And 32,000 people show up. Gideon is so pumped. What does God do? Hmm, you know what, Gideon? There's too many guys here. There's too many people here. And here's the problem with that. If you all go out and fight, this is what's going to happen. You're just going to say that you did it in your own power and your own strength. And I want everybody to know that this was me working on your behalf. So here's what I want you to do. Just ask a question. He said, just ask a question. Tell them that if anybody is scared or afraid or timid, the New Living says, you can tell them to go home. So Gideon stands up and says, uh, Guys, I have an announcement to make. Quick announcement here. Just want to make an announcement real quick. Uh, thanks all for coming out. So excited to see you all. So glad you're all here. We're going to win this battle. Everybody's like, yeah, woo! They're all cheering, high-fiving, clanking their swords together. I don't, whatever they did, I don't know. And, and he's like, I just um, if you are here today and it's your first time, you're new, and you're scared, and you're timid, you can go home. We'd love to send you home with a welcome gift. Just go to the back, sign out a little card, but you can go home. You don't have to fight today. Just go. And the Bible says that 22,000 people left. Don't you imagine Gideon was like, God, what is, what's going on here, man? That's a lot of people. He's like, God, I've only, okay, well, there's, There's still 10,000 of us, 10,000. In the Bible, if you read the Old Testament, and I encourage you to read some of those old stories in the Old Testament because they're amazing, and they show you God's amazing grace and his faithfulness, and those Israelites were fierce warriors. And so they're probably like, well, 10,000 of us is like 100,000 of somebody else, so we'll be okay, we'll be okay. And God says, "Mm, Gideon, you know, just I really feel like there's too many of them still. There's two, you have too many guys here. Even with 10,000, you're gonna say that you guys did this by yourself. And I just, I want everybody to know that this is me working on your behalf, that this is me working for you. He's like, so take them down and let them get some water. So there's 10,000 guys, they all march down to the creek to get some water. And God has Gideon sit over there and watch how they drink water. A little weird, but okay. So Gideon is watching everybody drink water. And 9,700 of these guys go down to the water and just dunk their heads because they're men. And that's how men do things. Yeah, it's hot out here. Me need water. (laughs) Just look at yeah. I smell, this is my bath and my drinking water. You know, doing all kinds of weird stuff. And the Bible says they just stuck their heads right down in the water. But then the Bible says there was 300 guys that would scoop the water up in their hand and drink it like this. I'm staring at you while I drink water. And the Bible says that God says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to separate into two groups. Everybody that drank like a crazy man and stuck their head down in the water, put them in one group. Everybody else that drunk, drunk, drank, drank? drank the water, all dainty like with their hands and like was scooping it up. I want you to put them in another group. Bible says there was 300 of them left. So they went from 32,000 down to 300. And God says, this is who I'm gonna use. This is the 300 that I'm gonna use. So they go out to the valley. They get themselves ready. It's nighttime. And God comes to Gideon. And he says this to him. He says, if you're still a little scared, if you're still a little timid, here's what I want you to do. Take Pura, is this guy's name, and I want you to go down to the camp and I want you to go and listen. Isn't it interesting in God's goodness that he still comes to us and says, hey, are you still a little concerned? Are you still a little scared? let me show you one more thing. Let me show you one more time. And God is continually standing at the door of your life, regardless of the cruelty that you faced as a child, regardless of the shame and the guilt and the addictions and the fears and all those things you deal with, God is still standing at the door of your life saying, are you still a little scared? Let me show you something else. Let me show you one more time, my goodness. Let me show you one more time. I got something special for you. So Gideon takes Pura, and they go down. This is a brave move. The Bible says that he goes down to the valley and he creeps up to the tent. And just as he creeps up, he just happens to hear two of the enemy soldiers talking. And one of them says this, "'I had a dream last night, "'and in my dream, we were here set up in our tents, "'and out of nowhere, a big tumbling loaf of barley bread "'came rolling down the hill, "'and it hit our tent and flattened it dead.'" I was sitting there reading this passage of scripture, And suddenly I made the connection between the fact that Gideon was in the wine press when God found him, getting grain to make bread, little tiny pieces to make something. And God is revealing who Gideon is all the way over here as a big old rolling loaf of bread coming down, bringing destruction to these Midianites. The guy says to the other guy who has a dream, he's like, oh, he says that can only mean one thing. Gideon is gonna beat us. They had heard of who Gideon was. So we see in this story, a man who was timid and scared and afraid and locked up with shame and hurt and pain and all those things from his past. He had spent seven years in torment. He had spent seven years in fear. And God took Gideon and brought her from that place. Gideon defined himself by those circumstances. Gideon said, this is my life. My life now is I have to hide to make bread. My life is now i got to hide from the Midianites. This is who I am. And this is who I'll be the rest of my life. Listen, when God showed up and began speaking truth to Gideon, Gideon couldn't even see it. Sometimes the hurts and the pains and the things that you went through life leave filters on your ears and your eyes. And it takes God to break those things off so you can see who you are the way that he sees who you are. That's why God kept saying to Gideon, this is who you are. This is who you are. That's why God kept showing himself to Gideon. That's why God burned up the meat. That's why God was so patient, showing him the the water and the dew. That's why God sent him down to the tent so that he could hear what those people were saying about him and interpreting their dreams. Because God does not see you as a tiny little scared person hiding in a wine press. God sees you as a big old rolling loaf of bread bringing death and destruction to all of your enemies that have tried to stop you and hold you square, flat, where you're at. When God looks at your life, when God looks at Cheryl, When God looks at Jake, when he looks at Cherokee, when he looks at Jalen, when he looks at Isaiah, when he looks at Faye, he doesn't see you the same way you see you. And what he is trying to do, we always call them rose-colored glasses, right? And that's an expression for seeing life through like a good lens. But in reality, a lot of us walk through life wearing Dirty colored lenses, brown, black, gray. Because we have allowed our past to define us. And I get it. I do, I do, I get it. I understand. I think God gave me that picture of that little girl hiding in a closet, terrified, under the shelf, closing the door as somebody was coming for her to help me identify taking the the picture of Gideon and bringing it into something that I could understand. God doesn't want to leave you in those places. God doesn't want us spending the rest of our life afraid, defined by hurts, defined by failures, defined by shame, defined by past mistakes. God wants you to define yourself by what he says about you. And that's why relationship with God is so important. This isn't religion. This isn't about coming to church because it's Sunday and the good, right thing to do is to go to church. This is about relationship with God. This is about hearing God speak truth and life and definition to you. Stand up with me. Thanks so much for joining us today.